Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's begin with some updates on the Lori Vallow murder trial that's back in session today after breaking early on Friday. So here's your quick refresher. This is the bizarre case out of Idaho where Lori Vallow is on trial for the 2019 murders of her two children, 17-year-old Tylee Ryan and 7-year-old J.J. Vallow, as well as her husband, Chad Daybell's first wife, Tammy Daybell. That means we have three people dead, all connected to Lori, but hold up. We actually have five people dead, all connected to Lori. But the questionable death of her brother, Alex, and the death of her fourth husband, Charles, are not part of the charges in this trial. Lori will face criminal charges for Charles' death in Arizona after this trial is complete. And as far as Alex is concerned, I don't think there will be any charges in his death. He was determined to have died by pulmonary embolism. He was 51 years old at the time, but the timing was questionable. He died in December of 2019. This is after the kids were determined missing, but before their bodies had yet to be discovered. We've completed three weeks of this trial that is being held in Boise, which is about four hours of travel away from the area where Chad and Lori lived separately at the time of these deaths, but they were married four weeks after Tammy, Chad's wife, died. Let's work our way backwards in time. In week three of the trial, we saw lots of forensic testimony from the Ada County coroner, FBI specialists, fingerprint specialists, and more law enforcement, as well as Tammy Daybell's sister and the Fremont County coroner. So that's the coroner that oversaw Tammy's death. And some key testimony included graphic images of the decomposing bodies of JJ and Tylee. Now, this is not the first time a photo was shown of the bodies. In week one, while a detective was on the stand, one photo of each burial recovery was admitted into evidence and shown. During that initial reveal of the photo, and the horrific testimony that accompanied the evidence, Lori was notably distressed. Lori's defense team had asked that she be excused during this part of the trial because her fragile mental state would make it difficult, if not harmful for her, to see the evidence. Judge Boyce denied that request. So Lori scrunched herself down into her chair, almost hiding behind her attorneys. Lori had previously been really smiley and conversational with her lawyers, so her behavior during the initial testimony of the three law enforcement officials was a pretty big change in her behavior. Now, when the prosecution submitted dozens of photos in week three, some special measures were taken in the courtroom. The gallery, which is what you would maybe refer to as like the spectators, they're not allowed to view the photos. Monitors were configured where only the jurors, the prosecution, the defense, the judge, and the witness could view the pictures. Okay, in the gallery, there are people who have been deemed victims in this case. So this would be close family members of the victims and of Lori, and they are allowed to also view the photos if they so choose later on. So before I explain what the photos revealed, I just want to warn you of the graphic nature of these burial sites and the recovery. If this isn't your thing, just skip forward about one minute, and then you can pick back up to what the remaining witnesses have testified. These photos depicted JJ in his red pajamas, duct tape on his wrists, and ankles and duct tape around his head. The photos show notable bruising on his arms and neck 
and even his fingers had some bruising, which led experts to testify that he had attempted to fight back. Testimony about JJ also revealed for the first time his cause of death, which was asphyxiation. Now, more photos describe the burial of JJ. He was laid in the grave, then planks of wood were placed over his body. After that, three large rocks were placed on top of the planks, then the dirt covered the burial site. An expert testimony revealed that this is an incredibly sophisticated way to bury a body. The disturbed soil won't settle when the body decomposes due to the placement of the planks and rocks. Okay, this might be a good time to remind everyone that Chad Daybell was a sexton or a cemetery caretaker in his teens and 20s. He was very aware of the process of digging a grave and replacing the disturbed earth. Because JJ was not completely decomposed, tests could be run on his organs. Alcohol and GHB, which is a depressant that can be naturally found in the body, were detected. But the testimony was not conclusive that these could have actually hindered JJ. Okay, JJ and Tylee were not found in the same area in the back part of the Daybell property. Tylee was located near the pet cemetery. Her remains were burned and buried in a green five-gallon bucket that was partially melted and buried. Now, if that is giving you like all the Stephen King vibes, I totally get it. But Chad's property does sit on a somewhat busy corner of two country roads that are traveled at a higher rate of speed than say your neighborhood would be traveled. So they probably did have some pets die during those years of living there. They also have a small memorial statue for a deceased pet in that area. Now, when investigators tried to remove Tylee's burned remains, they were falling apart and they were mostly unrecognizable. What was able to be recovered was placed in three separate evidence bags, and then a time-consuming autopsy was conducted. The coroner testified that various bones and organs could be identified, like the skull, the heart and lungs, and the hip and pelvic bones. Probably the most disturbing part of this testimony was that multiple areas of the hip and pelvic bones had sharp indentations. Tylee's DNA was discovered on a shovel and a pickaxe that were recovered from the shed on Chad's property. No cause of death could be determined for Tylee. All right, if you were fast forwarding, here's where you want to pick back up. Lori's attorneys did not try to have her sit out of this testimony. I'm sure because they knew the request would be denied. She spent most of the time with her back towards the gallery and with her head bowed. So let me explain how this courtroom is set up. You might be imagining in your mind that the prosecution and the defense table are facing the same direction and that they're right next to each other. And that just isn't the case in this courtroom. The defense table is across the courtroom from the jurors. So if Lori was to sit forward and look up, she would be making eye contact with the jurors. The prosecution table is directly across from the judge. So the gallery usually sees a side profile of Lori. And during the horrific explanation of the photos, Lori turned away from everyone and buried her head in a notebook. Lori isn't the only person in that courtroom to react to these photos. During week one, When the initial photos were entered into evidence and shown, J.J.'s grandfather wept in the gallery. During the extensive testimony of week three, J.J.'s grandparents chose to not be in the courtroom for the most horrific description. J.J.'s grandmother, Kay Woodcock, has had a particularly tough week listening to the testimony. This is according to news media covering the trial. Okay, one key piece of information from the testimony that had yet to be released was the discovery of Lori's brother Alex's 
latent palm print on the black plastic bag that was covering JJ's body. That aligns with testimony heard early in week three from the cell phone experts. Okay, yes, there were multiple, including burner phones. Belonging to Chad and Alex were both in the precise areas of the burial of the bodies on the expected days of death for the two kids. Okay, for me. Probably the most heart-wrenching moment of the week came when prosecutors played a phone call between Lori and her sister, Summer. And a quick reminder, Lori was arrested in late fall of 2019 for child neglect when she wouldn't produce the children for a welfare check. And law enforcement believes that Tylee was killed in early September and JJ was killed in late September of 2019. The bodies were discovered on the Daybell property in June of 2020 and Tammy Daybell was killed in October of 2019. So this phone call between Lori and Summer occurred a few days after the bodies had been unearthed in June. And during this jailhouse 12-minute phone call, Summer is sobbing. The cries are so emotional that it is hard to understand her words during about the first minute or so. She then gathers herself and becomes very angry with Lori. Angry because she defended Lori. Angry because the kids were, in her words, thrown away like trash. Angry because Lori refuses to answer any questions about the kids. All right, let's just play a few minutes of this recording. For me, I think the hardest part is the revelation that these kids could have been cared for by Summer. While sobbing, she says that she loved them with her whole heart and that she would have taken JJ and Tylee in a heartbeat and that everyone else would have too. This isn't the only emotional phone call that was played in the trial. Week two of the proceedings included a heated phone call between Lori and her adult son, Colby. Now, Colby is Lori's only remaining living child, and this phone call occurred while Lori was in jail. The bodies of JJ and Tylee had been discovered at this point, and Lori had purposely limited communication between her and Colby. This is most likely because she didn't want to answer the tough questions that Colby was obviously going to ask her. So let's play some of that phone call where Colby pleads with his mother to realize that she is not following the teachings of Jesus Christ. And my phone's being texted by my little sister who's not even alive. My little brother who's the sweetest little kid ever. For what purpose can tell me right now that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is on your side. You tell me that. That's pretty heartbreaking audio. Now, while on the stand, Colby also testified that his mother was different after meeting Chad Daybell. And the defense seems to be painting a before-after scenario with the questioning of Colby and other witnesses that can speak to Lori's character. I'm sure to imply that Chad brainwashed Lori and that her behavior drastically changed once the two became involved. So another quick reminder, because this case is so complicated, there are no cameras allowed in the courtroom. So when Colby was testifying, onlookers said that 
No eye contact was exchanged between mother and son. Colby would not even look at his mother, even though Lori was intently staring at Colby. That wasn't the end of the phone calls. Prosecutors also presented a 2020 phone call Chad made to Lori while investigators searched his property on June 9th of that year. Okay, during that phone call, Chad was in his car that was parked in his driveway while talking on the phone to Lori, who was in the Madison County Jail. Because she was in the county jail, the call was recorded. And Chad seems distant and guarded with his words during the call, while Lori was more, I don't know, angelic in her tone. And in the call, Chad tells Lori that investigators are searching the property, including some mumbling that we can't understand. And then he says, the kids. It's unclear if he's referring to JJ and Tylee, or if he's talking about his own kids that live in the house on the property. Lori responds with, what do you want me to do? Pray? And the testimony laid out that the phone call continued and Chad encourages Lori to call her attorney. He also says that he is not sure if he will be available if she calls back later. The call ends with Lori and Chad expressing their love for each other multiple times. Now, where does Tammy play into this? Well, Chad's wife mysteriously died during her sleep in October of 2019. Tammy was buried without performing an autopsy. The body was exhumed after the dead children were found in Chad and Tammy's backyard. We've been waiting to hear what the autopsy of Tammy's exhumed body found. Well, that was revealed in week one, when the prosecution in their opening statements told the jury that Tammy died of asphyxiation. And I get what you're thinking right now. How were the signs of asphyxiation missed when she was initially discovered dead? Well, the coroner who made the initial no autopsy call at the time of death testified on Friday. And she explained that Tammy had been dead for several hours when she arrived and that frothy blood tinged sputum was around her mouth. She said after consulting with detectives and Chad that she decided to rule natural causes as a cause of death. Chad requested no autopsy be done, and this decision was made even though Chad's story of the death had some questionable angles. He claimed Tammy had fallen out of bed at around 5.40 in the morning. Chad said he called for his adult son to come help him move Tammy off the floor and back into the bed. Together, they put her back in bed, but they didn't call 911 for 20 minutes. On the 911 call, Chad declares that Tammy is frozen. And the coroner was asked on the witness stand how Tammy could have fallen out of bed if she had already been dead for several hours. She testified that Chad said she slept on the edge of the bed because she suffered from hot flashes and that when he pulled the top sheet off of her when he rolled over, that must have freed her to fall off the bed. Okay, despite these oddities, the death certificate was signed that Saturday morning and Tammy was buried in Utah on that Tuesday. And as a quick side note, the couple is also charged with grand theft after they allegedly tried to steal Tylee and JJ's social security benefits after their deaths. Now, Chad's written several apocalyptic novels that are based loosely on Mormon theology. Both were involved in a group that promotes preparedness for the biblical end of times. Now, Lori and Chad bonded over their religious beliefs after initially meeting in 2018 when they appeared together for the first time on a podcast discussing theories about the end of the world. This is part of the reason that the trial was moved across the state to Boise because Chad apparently still has believers in the Rexburg area, which complicates the ability to find an impartial jury. And we got our first glimpse 
into the use of religious beliefs in the defense when during opening statements, Lori's attorneys referenced the innocence of believing so deeply in something. This has led many in the crime community to speculate that her attorneys will be using religion as her reasoning for all of her actions. Now, the prosecution, on the other hand, they painted Lori as a woman driven by sex, power, and greed. In fact, those three words were said repeatedly during opening statements. Now, the defense has already scored a win in some respects because the death penalty was taken off the table one week prior to the trial starting. Now, I consulted two criminal defense attorneys in East Idaho who both expressed the significance of this development. They also feel confident in the jury selection process. Over 1,800 potential jurors were summoned. That is an enormous amount. For reference, the very high-profile case of Kyle Rittenhouse, who shot two men in an apparent act of self-defense, only saw 800 potential jurors summoned. The defense attorneys I spoke to also felt the extensive questionnaire that potential jurors were asked to fill out was unusual for typical murder trial standards. And my takeaway on that is this case is full of twists and turns and is anything but typical. Now, Chad does not go to trial until fall of 2023, and I'm sure his attorneys are anxiously watching the proceedings to use the information in order to defend Chad. His lead attorney has been spotted in the courtroom during nearly the entire trial. We'll keep you updated on the trial as more information becomes available. The trial is expected to last somewhere between five to six weeks. Well, that's your special edition Rise in Crime update for Monday, May 1st. Join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.